Uh, before we continue on to another subject which has uh, been forbidden for uh, most people to uh, delve into, and that is uh, the Pada uh, Adumab, the Red Haifa. When I say forbidden, of course, I, I don't know who really uh, is around to control the uh, study of uh, one's personal uh, endeavors or indulgences in, in any section of the uh, Torah. But we'll, it's, it's kind of a section that uh, very little is known, and uh, I hope we'll, we'll come to uh, some very uh, definitive revelations. But before we proceed, I, there is one more point that I want to raise insofar as Korach is concerned. We know that the Bible, or the Torah, is not and has not been presented on Mount Sinai in the form of revelation for the purpose of, of dealing with history. Revelation took place before the incident of Korah. If that was the case, then wasn't this predestined? What choice did Korah have? If this Torah, the scroll, was presented in its entirety on Mount Sinai in the form of revelation, then he was just merely acting out his role to rebel, to create a dispute, and even to that extent, the Zohar raises the question about Moses himself. At the end, it says that he speaks and discusses his death, the death of the illusionary level. It's an illusion. But nevertheless, as we have said from on many occasions, as Avi is trying to convince the Persians in his family's community that uh, the Bible is not religion, it is not religion, because if it was religion, then it has all been predestined, and that would have to uh, appear as a foregone conclusion that whatever is happening is happening and all that we are in this scenario are participants as robots nothing more it's all been uh, predestined like we're raising the question now revelation took place before the incident of Korah that means it has already been established that Korah this fellow is going to rebel and so what did he do wrong? He was merely like the fellows in Germany said. All they were doing is following the orders. And Korach was following his own destiny, which says, remember, at this point in time, raise, raise your objections to Moses and carry out. And so why did he suffer that kind of, you know, that, despite... The fact that he was so involved and overwhelmed by the aspect of desire to receive for oneself alone. But that already was predestined. So the old conflict of, of uh, faith and free will. But again, there's always the question at the end. Moses 
who wrote and brought the entire Torah to the Jewish people and the Ten Commandments included everything, except this is in a more elaborate form, but it's all included within the Ten Commandments, how could he possibly write about his own death before it even happened? So for those who study Talmud Esesfirot in the morning, it's so simple. Is that correct? Because we understand that when you're thinking of traveling to Los Angeles next week, and taking a stroll on the beach. And if you're thinking about that today, and there is nothing that is going to prevent your taking that trip, and you will ultimately arrive next week, the footprint on the beach already has been established today. So says the scientist, without delving into it and getting into the particulars of how could, that could be possible. But nevertheless, this is already a foregone conclusion. The footprint is there by, and is made by someone who will physically walk over that footprint a week later. I know I can see in, in, the, uh, in the eyes of all the present that we all understand you know, how that can be. So, right? No, I, I didn't hear any objections, in fact, even raised. You're all sounding like obedient Jews. <laughs> Is that the way you conduct your business in your life? Never raising questions? But in any event, how could that, how is that possible? Furthermore, it says in chapter 16 of Numbers, Vaikah Korach, and Korach took. And the corrupt, and I say corrupt, the corrupt, corrupt translation is, and Korach took men. This is in verse 1. And he took men. Now, in verse 1, there is no word in the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew, for men. It says, He took. And it doesn't say he took Datan Babiram. No, it says he took the Datan Babiram. And then it says, like, and they, but. There's no continuity in the verse. So what did he take or whom did he take? And because of an obvious question, translators go on to say he must have taken men. Well, didn't he take men later? But that's not what it says here in the verse. And the Zohar, because of this obvious uh, translation, which does not include the word men, he raises the question, What does he mean? He took. What did he take? And the Zohar answers, He took an evil, an evil advice for himself. Anyone who is uh, Pursuing or chasing after that which is is not his, it runs away from him. Uh, the old familiar uh, saying of the Talmud as well as the Zohar: Kol Harodef Kavod. Anyone who runs after uh, uh, Kavod uh, honor, the honor runs away from him. Kol Haboreach Kavod. And if you run away from the Kavod. Uh, the kavod then runs after you. And you know the little story I think I may have told about 
this student who came to the rabbi and says, look, rabbi, I know about the saying that if you run away from honor, the honor runs after you. Now, I've been running away from honor all my life, and it hasn't pursued me once. And he says, but are you always turning around to see how far it is from you? So the question is, you know, how far we're looking behind. And therefore, the Zohar says, those who run after that which is not for you, it runs away from you. The Lord, even that which we, he was in, entitled to, rightfully entitled to, he ran after that which was not destined to be his. What was he, what was he taking? What was the evil, evil advice he was taking for himself? What evil advice? From, from the literal or from, from the uh, description of the Torah, he was raising a rightful objection, which we raised before. And that was why all of these particular honors to one family. The Zohar says, no, that's not what he took for himself. Korach halach b'machloket. He was, his internal inclination was to seek out dispute. In other words, this was a man who was destined to thrive on dispute. Harchaka b'dichui. Which means that anything of, of some essence or something of value, something which could benefit not only the cosmos but could benefit mankind, this was something that he, as the Egyptian in Egypt, sought to remove from this world. Sought to remove from this world. What was he seeking to remove? He did not want the one unified whole called Shalom, peace. Is he Satan? Is he Satan? Are you Spartic? Yes. Oh. <laughs> we use Satan here too, yes. That is Satan. But what is Satan? What, what, uh, yes. what, what is Satan? What is Satan? That's what the Zohar is saying. Esera. It was very strange that most, well, I guess all of us are really brilliant people. And sometimes we do things which seem to be so utterly stupid. Of course, we, the ego says we can't be stupid, right? We must be smart. But yet... We're facing a situation where we had made a decision which even we would admit five minutes later was a stupid conclusion. And yet we make those kind of decisions. How, how do you jump? Are we all Jekyll and Hyde's? Meaning uh, we, we think one way and five minutes later we think another way. We bounce back and forth. Well, he, he puts it very simple. 
מי שחולק שלום. Those who create disputes wherever there should be a unified whole, which is shalom. What does shalom mean? Two people live in peace. Meaning, two people are never the same. How yet, however, they could coexist together. Despite the fact that they may not necessarily have the same dislikes, may not necessarily have the same likes, may not really have... A, a, a complete uh, similarity between themselves. Nevertheless, the objective is shalom. How could two opposites be part of the same whole? Well, if we just observe the bulb, yeah, you have two opposites that somehow manage to create light. The fact that they are two opposites is in no way a reflection on, on separation. On machloket. Machloket means actually a dispute, but it means lachlok, to separate. That's machloket. And therefore he says, the ones who are cholek al shalom, cholek al shemoh hakadosh, on his holy name. Mishum sheshmoh hakadosh nikra shalom, because his holy name is called shalom. What does that mean, his holy name? So from a Kabbalistic point of view, without, again, uh, it's been described in, in the 72 names. We, we know names. What are names? What, is it, what does it mean, the name of God? What does it mean? It means, like God has many names, and he is not a member of the underworld. He has many names. Each name represents another form, another channel of his energy. In other words, there are higher intensities of energy, there are lower intensities of energy. The tetragrammaton, like the Yudke Vavke, represents a channel for which there can be a dispensing of higher forms of energy. Adne, Aleph, Dalad, Nun, Yud, is a lower form. Elohim is another form. El is another form. Sivakot, there are many names that represent what? Not different names of, of the force of, of the Lord, but it represents different forms, different intensities, different levels of consciousness of energy. When someone, and what, but what do they all represent? They all represent shalom. All are unified while, and that's, that's what's beautiful about the world, or what could be beautiful about the world. No one has to agree with everyone. No one has to be on the same level of intelligence with everyone. However, the fact that we are not completely alike should not be, says the Zohar, a reason for machloket, for disagreement. The fact that uh, Cain brought the, uh, the flax is because he was coming from his aspect of consciousness. His aspect of consciousness, his internal characteristic was one of negativity. When, a, when Abel bought, brought the, uh, the uh, sacrifice of, of sheep, we know that uh, wool warms you. Why does it warm you? Why doesn't paper warm you? Why does wool, wool warm you? Because wool is a channel of positive energy. And so, naturally, you know, put your finger in a socket, you find out how warm you get, right? Wool is that kind of similar transmission of energy. And therefore, he was bringing the aspect of positivity, Abel. 
they were not in conflict. It is the same way as the Zohar raises the question about Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. One says yes, one says no. One says Asur, forbidden. One says Mutar, permitted. And Elu Ve'elu Divra Lekim Chayim. Both are correct. How could both be correct? How could both be correct? The answer is, each one, says the Zohar, was coming from his own level of consciousness. Bishamah stemmed from the aspect of Kayan, from a negative aspect. And therefore, everything was prohibitive. Everything was negative. But that doesn't make it bad. But that's where he was coming from. That's where his level of consciousness was connected with. Bet Hillel was one of more of compassion, more of sharing, more of permissiveness. Because, says the Zohar, he was coming from the aspect of positivity. This doesn't make one right and this doesn't make one wrong. Each one is coming from another direction. If, that's what it says, if it's machloket l'shem shemayim, what does it mean l'shem shemayim? Well, there are holy wars uh, like crusades or the Arabs have their jihad. Holy wars, right? Is that what the Torah means? Machloket l'shem shemayim? Which is the term. This is a quarrel in the name of God. We hear amongst Jews there are disagreements because both mean only for the same purpose. L'shem shemayim. Because I believe I'm right. The Zohar says they're both wrong. If that has initiated... A, a, a dispute of differences which has brought them apart, that has brought in not only the name of the Lord, but that has brought in the Satan. Because the Satan, if you want to know what his internal energy intelligence is, it is one that reflects division. Not shalom, not one unified whole, but division, despite the fact that they could be opposite opinions. That is what Korach wanted. He wanted division. He wanted that the energy force in this universe, like the bulb, should not operate with plus or minus together. There should be one pole. There should only be one understanding. Only one person is right. Two can't be right. That's machloket. That says that only one point of view is right. That says the other point of view is wrong. That creates what? Conflict. You've immediately shut out. If the, can you imagine if, the, if there was no Edison uh, found that uh, he's, he's got to operate with two poles? Why not one pole? No, he says the opposites have to be part of this unified whole. Korach did not want to recognize that. He said, no. Machloket should rule. One point of view. There cannot be two points of view. That is not machloket l'shem shemaim. That is the essence of the Satan. And so even the fellow that they say in Germany was a Satan. He was of a robotic consciousness. And to blot him out was not the end of all evil in this world. The proof is in the pudding. Evil has not ceased with the death of that Satan. Because Satan always comes where there is machloket. Where there is not a condition of one unified whole, where two people with opposite opinions cannot live alongside each other, that is machloket, that is division. That is satan. Both are wrong. Not only is there only one who is right and one who is wrong, but both are wrong. Why? Because they are not presenting the unified whole, which is this cosmos, the atom, 
operates on, on the basis of unified whole. So what did he take for himself? He didn't take people. He took his point of view. He took himself. And anyone that agreed with him was right. Anyone who disagreed with him was wrong. And therefore, when he was raising this dispute with, with Moshe, it was not a dispute, says the Zohar, of creating harmony. He could have rightfully raised the question. But his intent, the beginning, the first word was, his intent was not to create a unified whole, as might have been his, his presentation. Let it be just one side. When he was saying one side, he was saying there is only one, one opinion, as many people today consider that which they believe to be the correct opinion, and that there is no other opinion. That's what it was wrong. The Shema Kadosh, the holy name, means, and that's why God has different names, because there are different aspects to the same unified whole. Neither one is incorrect, and neither one is totally correct. But the combination of all sides, or two sides, make up the one unified whole. And therefore the Zohar concludes, Bore eina olam omed ela al shalom. And therefore, if we Jews can learn what the Zohar says, that there could never be a perpetuity of peace in this world as long as there is not shalom. So irrespective of what position anyone is taking, whether it's Jew or non-Jew, but if you are taking a position that your position is the correct position and someone else's position is incorrect, the world cannot exist. And therefore, division the that we see in the form of war or holocaust is only the result of man's negative humane action. It is his where his head is. If his head is not on shalom, says the Zohar, then what follows is the Satan. But the Satan is not the enemy. The Satan is the result of short-circuitness. Where is the Satan in the bowl? He's all over, even in the bowl. Where is he in the bowl? When you see that there is a short circuit, what happens? You see a black spot. Black is indicative that there is no flow of energy. Black is indicative, that little black, that it burnt out. It burnt out. That is Satan. He is the result... He is the result of short-circuit energy. Until he created this aspect, this entity called Shalom. When we raise the question of here's a story of Korah, a revelation already dictated that Korach would have to behave that way. The answer is no. How, well, how do you reconcile uh, knowing in advance, knowing in advance with, with that which is predestined and free will? Did he have a choice? It says in the Torah that Adam sinned, that Adam ate from the tree of knowledge. If he ate from the tree of knowledge, did he have free will? It was predestined. The golden calf. All that is described in the Torah 
When was the Torah created? Says the Zohar, 2,000 years before the creation of the world. In fact, the Torah was the blueprint, the cosmic blueprint for the not only creation, but development of all entities, of all manifestations that we observe on the physical reality level was already predestined. If that is the case, what and where is free will? That we are merely following the dictates of that which has been established. Therefore, the Leidat Moshe is very important. Therefore, I, I presented that uh, preface or introductory remark to understanding what was happening here with Korah. <clears throat> there are two levels of reality. Remember we discussed the footprint? There's a footprint. Or I discussed, for those of you who have already read the Star Connection, I discussed the grandfather paradox. For those of you who didn't read the Star Connection, Einstein had a problem with traveling back in time. You know, if I can go back in time and I can prevent the marriage of my grandfather and grandmother, then of course my mother and father wouldn't be born. And if they wouldn't be born, then I won't be born. And of course if I'm not born, then I can't prevent their, their marriage of, of the, my grandfather. And if I can't prevent the marriage, then they are born. If they are born, then I can't. This was Einstein's problem. It's a problem of all physicists. But the Zohar already provided the answer. While science still has a problem with it, we have in Kabbalah no problem with it. It said that Moshe's, Moshe was born. Moshe was born with that same level of consciousness that he that he uh, that he uh, was connected with before birth as with after birth. Moses was an unusual man. It meant that with Moses there were no two aspects of reality. There is the real reality, the reality that you see everything as it is, and then there is the illusionary reality, the illusionary reality. It's like a building, like we say in the morning in our courses. Uh, when, I, when I think of putting up an 84-story building, is the building built already or it isn't? It is built already. Everything that will ever come into that building has already been predestined before. So what is actually happening on a physical level is what? That which in my mind has already been concluded. No one thinks the building goes up by itself. It's already been predestined. However, and that's another level of consciousness, Certainly the building and my thinking about the building are not the same. Or does anyone think they are the same? Heaven help us if it is. But I mean, we can understand the difference between a physical building. We don't consider ourselves as something merely of a physical nature, but that we are intelligent, thinking people. That means whatever we do, for the most part, is with forethought is with forethought, before it becomes manifested, before it becomes a physical reality. So there are two levels of consciousness. There is the physical reality, which has no free will. Once we have established the blueprint, once the architect has drawn up the plans, that's what the building is going to be. No changes, unless we go back 
to the drawing boards again and make changes. But the changes do not take place in the physical reality. Therefore, while here the Torah is telling us of a physical reality, there was no problem like Moshe that who could who never left the realm of of reality never was involved in physical illusions as as Korach and all other people he always saw the beginning to the end for most people the beginning and the end are not always the same we begin out with a certain plan and we can go off to a tangent which doesn't even have any resemblance to what the original idea was. Someone thinks of going into a business, a particular kind of business. By the time he gets through, he's gone into a business which almost has no connection with the original thought. It happens to us on occasion, right? Therefore, when we speak of someone who is connected to the state of consciousness that Moses was born with, he didn't have to earn it. He didn't have to develop it. But we have the potential, says the Zohar, to revert back and connect with that consciousness of Moshe. Go right back and connect with that consciousness. The consciousness which is above the physical reality. At that point, there is no connection between the physical reality and the metaphysical reality. They are two separate and distinct entities. No relationship with each other. No, Almost no different then when I think about putting up a building and the physical building, am I connected with the physical building as I, as I visualize the building? There is no building. And yet the whole building is there before I even put it up. In fact, it might even be a building more closely to my liking because after the building is put up, then I think I should have done it this way or that way. And the physical reality doesn't even resemble what I really had in mind. Therefore... When the Torah is, 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 uh, is revealing for us the physical aspect, it is revealing a physical perspective of what we all get caught up in on the physical reality level. But that doesn't mean we have to get caught up in that physical reality. We can live and exist on that conscious level where... The mundane, the mundane physical reality has no effect upon us. It's here, it exists, but mind over matter, things shape as we want them to shape, up to. When it, when it becomes here a physical reality, when the, at the end it says, how Moshe, how Moshe died. And the Zohar raised the question, how could Moshe write? He didn't write, says the Zohar, about his death. He put together all of the potentials. All the letters were, were here. Like all the cement for the building is here. All the plumbing is here. All the electrical fixtures are here. Everything that has to go into the building can all be present. It doesn't mean that the building is there. But all of the materials that will go into ultimately establishing that building could be there in advance. How it shapes up then? You can put cement in the wrong place. You can put the fixture in the wrong place. But whatever has to go into the building could be there before. All the letters he put down. This whole story. About the footprint. It is like about the footprint on the beach. 
The footprint is there. Why doesn't everyone see it? The Beit HaMikdash is there. Why doesn't everybody see it? Because for most, we are caught up with the illusion, which is what we call the physical reality. Something which represents such a minor part. For many of you, this may sound strange, but this is, this is the age of Aquarius. We get hung up with, with the physical reality. As Korach did, he fell into the trap of the Satan. He fell into the trap. He fell into the aspect of honor. And he lost sight of where the whole dimension is. You know, some people think the whole world exists upon them. A business can never go on without me. And yet, if we only for a moment stop to think about how after 120 years, all of us are not going to be here. There's a track record. No one usually lives after 120 years. Does that mean the world comes to an end? But while we are involved in what we're doing, for the most part, everyone thinks, without me, if I don't show up that day, everything will become chaos. The world continues. That's a part of illusion, that we believe that the physical reality is totally dependent upon our presence. That is a physical illusionary reality. This is what Korach was attempting to do, to push away the aspect of shalom, which says there is another reality level of shalom. That means two opposite opinions. Is not, is not a dispute. Each one, with coming from two different aspects, can put together and create a whole. Like the bulb. It's, it's obvious that without a plus and a minus pole, there wouldn't be any circuitry of energy. Who can dispute that? Opposites create one unified whole. That is the aspect of the physical reality. And therefore, when it says, at that moment in time, he took... He took the course of the physical illusionary reality. He fell into the trap of the Satan. Before that, before that, the choice was there. What choice was there? The real reality. That this was not a question of kavod. It was not a question of, of an honorary position that Aaron was being bestowed with. But rather, that Aaron had worked to achieve and make that connection through the aspect of Rodef Shalom. He wanted to make peace amongst all peoples in Israel. This was his life endeavor. He was not seeking the position of priesthood. He was not seeking that position. He was seeking to become connected with the aspect of chesed, of sharing, which is the force. Therefore, he achieved that state of consciousness. Korach said, who says you've got to work? It should be mine. And that was his mistake. Now we'll just touch on, 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 an, on another, the following Pasha. For those of you, I hope most all, if not all of you, are familiar with the subject which concerns the in Pasha Chukat, chapter 19. Chapter 19. I, I'm going to gloss over this uh, briefly, because there is another very important subject that I would like to discuss in Chukat, which seems to have no relevance to this uh, important subject of Para Aduma, the Red Haifa. Now, I don't know since when, 
but let's say for a very, very long time, the subject of Red Haifa is a subject that should not be discussed. Why? Because it says in chapter 19, verse 2, Zot chukat atorah asher tziva Hashem lemor. This is the statute of the law which the Lord hath commanded. And once the word chukat has been associated and brought into focus on any particular subject, generally the conclusion of that word is this is something we cannot understand. We cannot understand. Now, to the dismay of all those rabbis who are still to this present day of that opinion, let me say that Rabbi Shimon Bar who has, I believe, proper credentials, disagrees and says that there is nothing, I shouldn't say nothing, there is almost nothing that concerns this aspect of the red haifa that does not relate to an understanding of what the essence is all about. But it says, Kukat, a statute. Statute meaning there is no understanding. And that I wish to state at this moment, that according to Rabbi Shimon, is a total corruption and is a total ignorance of the essence of what is taking place here. The Red Haifa. What was the Red Haifa about? The Torah says that in this combination of taking this Red Haifa, it must be read very clearly. It must be read. It must be para. must be a Haifa or a cow. Tmima, without a blemish. Faultless. Again, if if you were to read the um, the just just a translation, it, it's a it's 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 totally incomprehensible because it says already tamima. Now, if you know what tamima means in Hebrew, it means faultless. Means there's nothing wrong with it. And then what does it say? It has no blemish. Well, of course, if it's tamima, then obviously there is no blemish. Why is there a repetition of the word? And asher lo ala aleha ol. And because, you know, on a, on a ox or, or some other work animal, you put a, uh, a yoke around it. So you steer it or it pulls and so on. On this animal, there was never, never presented upon her all. All doesn't make too much sense or logic. However, the Zohar, well, before that, what was the purpose? The purpose here was that if there occurred a kind of Tumah, Tumah means uncleanliness, and of course, that also is a corruption of the word uncleanliness because there's another word for clean what's the word for clean naki naki and if it's not naki it's low naki right and then there's a word tuma how many words do you need for unclean right tuma 
Meluchlach. Well, uh, Eitan knows a little more Hebrew than I do. Meluchlach is another word for uncleanliness. I mean, how many words do you need? All right? But in any event... What's that? What? Different levels? <laughs> All right. Well... You know what they say about a diamond? Yeah. It comes out with the greatest the greatest covering of lichluch, right? It comes out black. Is that correct? I don't think it's the, the word tameh are the same letters as the word atum. Atum is the opposite of transparent. Of? Atum, tameh. That means Aleph, which is the opposite of transparent. That means it doesn't let the... Opaque. It's opaque. It's opaque. And yet, it also could mean Adam. Right? Adam, the negative part of Adam. Well, well, is Adam wrong? Adam is nothing wrong with it. That's correct. That's correct. In any event, the purpose of the Haifa, according to the uh, Torah, according to the uh, Torah, was to remove uncleanliness. Why? And furthermore, what about we here today? Who can't make you, or maybe we can, but any, in any event, we don't have a red Haifa today. So, why do we need why do we need this subject? I mean for the purpose of study. And why should it be mentioned and why should it be read in the uh, Beta Knesset? Once a year at least it's read in the Beta Knesset. For what purpose? Unless you just, you know, you just like to hear the tone of uh, the reading of the Torah, but, you know, it could be any subject. It didn't have to be this one. Rabbi always says that that's one of those things we I'm not supposed to understand. We're not supposed to understand. And, of course, we Jews are the most obedient Jews, uh, most obedient people in the world, and so we accept it. What, what do you... Right, right. Okay. There's no reason. Right. Well, no, no, they say more than that. But in any event, just, uh, just superficially, from the description of the Zohar, Aduma, if you hear the word Aduma, you know immediately it means what? Left column. Means left column. Tmima, what does that mean? Completeness. Completeness. Completeness has nothing to do with having a blemish or not. What is completeness? We just discussed what completeness means. You can have opposites. You can have opposites, and yet they can be part of one unified whole, right? And so, what the what the Torah is making an attempt to describe here is that whatever was happening was to take together a channel of energy, which is the cow, which is the para. Why the para? Why not another animal? I can't answer that. 
it could have been. It could have been. Yes. Why? The question is why? Why should the ox be left column? Right? He could have chosen. He could have chosen another animal. Right? Only because it has been chosen and designated as a left column animal. Right. But the question was why was this animal chosen to be the channel for left column energy, for negative energy? That is what the Torah says, Chukata Torah. That I don't understand. Meaning, not that I don't understand, but why he would choose this particular animal and not another is something that is not even that necessary. But in any event, what the Torah is telling us here is this. That like people, we describe as some people, oh, he's so negative. He is very positive. Well, what, what, what are we implying when we discuss someone being negative and someone being positive? What, what does that mean? It means that this person is actually channeling negative vibration or negative fields of energy, and a positive person is transmitting, emitting positive fields of energy. So that even exists by an individual. But the difference is that an individual has free will and choice to either once act as a channel for positive to positivity or act as a channel for negativity. The, the animal kingdom has no free will. They have been designated as positive channels or negative channels. We learn from the Torah, we learn from the Torah that the ox or the para is the channel for negative energy. What is Tameh? We said that this is coming to cleanse, cleanse, if we can use that word, but it doesn't mean that. It means rather to restore a circuit of energy. When a person becomes Tameh, it means not uncleanliness, it means he has become short-circuitness. He has now generated an aspect, you know, if you have a flow of energy, there's a completeness, like in the bulb. The moment short-circuitness takes over, well, what do you have? Darkness. Closed. Opaque. You can't see through. The person has become closed. Closed to his detriment. Because we usually know a person who is open-minded, a person who can see things all around him, can then take it all and, and, and come to some form of a logical conclusion. But if we, we, when we discuss individual who we say he's closed-minded, is, is, is that a liability? Of course it is. When he's closed-minded, meaning he's not taking all of the facts that are presented in his daily life, taking them all together, trying to understand all of these factors... Because what will an accountant tell a businessman who fails? You forgot to take into account this, that, or the other thing. So he failed. The same way as people fail in their life for the reason, oh, had I known this or had I known that? The question is, why didn't you know? Why didn't you know? Because you were close to a certain extent or to a certain area. This whole aspect of the Haifa was to open up the individual 
to remove the tamay, remove that opaqueness, to remove that closed-mindedness, so that you can see almost from beginning to end the whole picture, like when you want to build a building. It's only a fool who would say, I'll plan the 84th floor without planning the foundation. He's got to see the whole building, not to see the conclusion, the 84th floor, because he may never get to the 84th floor. The purpose of the red heifer was to choose an animal, choose an animal that was designated at the time of creation in Genesis for the purpose of channeling the most intensified negative form of energy. Why? Why? Because it is only where you have the most intensified form of energy is where you can have the most intensified flow of energy. A generator or a five-watt bulb, what is the difference? One generates a greater intensity of energy and the five-watt bulb, very little. Why? Because there's very little negativity. There's very little power drawing that electricity or that electrical current into the bulb. Being a scientist, meaning, understanding what makes things work the way they should, they chose the red hypha, red and hypha, and not have any blemishes. What does it mean? There was no... Because anything that could disrupt the flow of energy, which is all that this is about, which in any way could disrupt the flow of energy, would not produce the desired result, which would be what? Restoring a complete flow of energy. So the red heifer is not something we do not discuss. On the contrary, the Zohar discusses it in complete detail. And when you understand it, and this would take us more than even one session to go through this aspect. However, for those of you who have the Zohar, I recommend even just scanning. For those of you, when you go next time to listen to the story of the Red Hyper as it is read in the Betachneset, uh, and if you don't know why you're there, as the Zohar says, most people, now this is not what I'm saying, most people who attend the Betachneset go out empty. But what was the reason for going there in the first place? To get together with your friends might be a reason. But then you can get together with your friends at the side of a pool on a hot day. Why go to a Beta Knesset? There are many other places where you can enjoy the company of your friends. Must it only be in the Beta Knesset? In any event, the reason why we hear the reading of this of the Torah on Shabbat, incidentally, concerning the red Haifa, which is for most Jews who still go to a Bet HaKnesset on Shabbat, is the tradition. It's read, we listen, and we go home. No, when we hear the reading via that scroll, and the purpose of the scroll, you know what, what that does, it takes us back in time. The scroll, the reading of the Torah on Shabbat, and again, that has been discussed elsewhere, permits us to go back to the time when there was this Haifa, when there was this form of restoration for those 
who, for whatever reason, have created negative flows of energy in their life and cre have created short-circuitness in their own lives, how do you restore it? How do you, again, provide an influx of energy, of energy not to be drained, not to be burnt out, is by listening to this particular reading in the Beta Knesset on Shabbat, because you go back to the time when this was established, and at that moment, you are drawing, not to the physical extent of, of what took place there, but you will be drawing the equivalency of that kind of energy when you connect by the Torah to this energy. So the reading of this section is not merely to just review another part of the Torah, which seems to be meaningless for most of us today, but actually to connect to that procedure. And that procedure was the most powerful restoration of energy, of anything, of anything, that even the high priest could establish. The restoration of energy, even that the high priest on Yom Kippur, he did not restore energy. He was a channel for bringing down that kind of energy. But the restoration of individual energy for the individual was the red hypha. So this, this was a significance. Now, I just wanted, I couldn't avoid coming to uh, a part here in Korach, getting back there, if you recall. Now, after all this happened, okay, and it says, for those of you who are not that familiar, where it says he was swallowed up, okay? He was swallowed up. And then, in chapter 17, ver verse, verse uh, 8, but before that it says, that everything, uh, whatever the story is, and I mean, I, I trust that you will all go out and, and uh, review chapter 16 in Numbers so you become more familiar with what it says. Because in chapter 16, uh, the miracle happened in verse 32. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men that appertained into Korah and all their goods were swallowed up. Okay, that's chapter 16. And the miracle was there for all the nation of Israel to observe. And in chapter 17, which happened immediately after, not a year later or not seven years later, but the next day, chapter 17, verse 6. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured, meaning they complained. What was their complaint? Against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. This is immediately following the description of Korah. With all our Kabbalistic explanations, so on. We're speaking about a people now that came and complained, you have killed the people of the Lord. First of all, did Moses kill them? 
the earth, swallowed him up. And we have we have, a coincidence. All right, let's say it's even a coincidence. But certainly, it certainly wasn't at the hands of Moses. How could that be possible? Can you imagine if you saw an earthquake? Would you say, "I caused the earthquake, George"? No, be reasonable. Right. You might. Yes, But you know what you said. You said on the physical. Why do we live in another level? Well, I think most of the time was living in in a metaphysical mentality in physical world. But how could they come to this kind of conclusion that Moses killed the Jews? Killed Torah, meaning. What? What's that? It says the day after, on the morrow, this is what they this is what they said. Maybe because Moshe was the right color. And so they figured the competition took over. They figured they they wanted the left column wanted to be to take over. How could right column destroy? Huh? How could right column destroy? Well, who would they complain to? If you say Moshe is the ruler of heaven and right. Torah has been rule of kind, so now he is coming back to make his tikkun. So if Moshe kills the Korah... Did he, but he didn't kill Korah. No, that's why they blame him. But why would they blame him? Why would they blame him? On the contrary, all he did was present, without going into the complete description of the story, he presented an obvious conclusion that uh, that Aaron and his camp was alive. Those who rebelled were swallowed up, and that was the end. Well, maybe they were afraid that they, they followed the, the path of the Korah. The same thing would happen to them, and Moshe didn't protect them. Rabbi, people don't make Okay. They don't make decisions out of uh, out of logic. They make decisions out of discomfort. They know Uh, that they're going to have to pay a price for something. Like uh, to be conscious, you have to pay for that in the sense of um, it's work because you're awakening other people. Well, let us also recall that we are discussing the door they are. The door they are. The Dordaya is the Hebrew expression for the most advanced, the most advanced people that ever existed in intelligence, in levels of consciousness. They, these people that we are discussing, were considered the Dordaya. But furthermore, I just before we get to uh, uh, to the answer and there isn't that much time. Do you know what happened? A plague descended upon these people, and they died by the plague of 14,700. Besides those that died, those few 250 that died uh, concerning Korah. I mean, you've got to inform us. You know, beside those, you know, 14,000. What happened here? But again, it's an expression. 
and that's what George, I think, meant when he said the physical reality. When you live in the physical reality level, it's like two people seeing the same thing and seeing the opposite of each other. How is that possible? That is the power of illusion. You know, we discussed certain magicians who can make the Statue of Liberty disappear or make a Boeing 747 disappear before the very eyes of 10,000 people. The power of illusion. We, with our own ego, refuse to accept the possibility that we could succumb to illusion. The Torah is merely demonstrating that the illusion, which is actually referred to as the Satan, has a very strong sway over people. And here the Torah wants to say that despite the fact that it happened yesterday and the memory of Korach was not lost, in fact it wasn't even lost because what was their complaint? The complaint was about Korach, so it wasn't maybe something else. It was about Korach. And here they were under some illusion that Moses, Moses was the culprit and Moses was responsible. And the answer is that these people saw, they actually saw the action of Moses destroying these people. Remember I said they were dawned they up. These were people who could understand things on another level of consciousness. They understood that the power of Moses, the power, the connection where he was, just couldn't meet this kind of short-circuitness. And so it was not an illusion for them. It's like it said on Mount Sinai, these same people saw the voices. How do you see voices? Well, so we describe that about dogs. You know, dogs hear on another frequency. We can't hear what a dog can hear. He has a much higher level of frequency that he can hear something three blocks away and, and the average person cannot. These people saw things at that level and they saw Moses actually being the cause of all that occurred. Okay. Yes,